0: So we're holding, we already like basically winded down uh, about the conference of, of 1843, but we're not done yet. When the ministers at the conference realized that they were losing the battle, um, and as it currently stood, the czar's agenda would not be passed, so they desperately looked for ways some way, anything to persuade or pressure the Tzemach tzaddik to change his mind about all the proposals. So when a large group of Jewish soldiers that were stationed near Peterburg requested that the Rebbe should speak to them <coughs> surprisingly the ministers agreed hoping that this might be the opportunity that they were looking for And they reasoned to themselves They said listen If we allow the Tzemach to speak to the soldiers It will prove beyond any doubt That we're not trying to influence or force them to convert Which of course was a lie So after all it, Like if we desired that they should convert We would never allow a rabbi to come speak to them Um Now, despite their misgivings that they weren't, they weren't so. Meaning, they didn't really want him to speak to them, but they thought this was the opportunity to get him to relax a little bit. So they informed the tzemach sedek of the soldier's request and the government's permission that he's allowed to speak to them. And although the rebbe was exhausted, we're talking about the the conference has been going on for four months. And the second they came to him and told him about it, and they asked him, does he want to go speak to them? Immediately he said yes. And accompanied by around 50 Hasidim, he traveled to the soldier's base in the nearby town of Kronstadt, where he he was greeted by a few thousand Jewish soldiers, Cantonists, serving in different divisions of the army. And in, the, in his honor, in the honor of the Samach Sadek, the, the men dressed in their uniforms, not like, there's, there's two types of uniforms that soldiers wear. There's like battle uniforms, which is what they wear most of the time, and then dress uniforms, is what they wear like to official events. And they got, they got dressed in their full uniforms, and they marched as if they were in a parade, as if it was some high official that was coming to see them. And the soldier... He he was representing uh, everyone there. He stepped forward and he addressed the Rebbe. And he says, Rebbe, we worked hard in honor of your coming. We cleaned our uniforms. We polished our buttons so that they would be bright. We are requesting that the Rebbe help us clean and shine our hearts and our neshamas which have become coarse they're dirty now after so many years of being away from our families and as the soldier said that every single soldier bursts out crying right cuz you have to understand when when you're talking about a soldier that was taken away from his family by the age of 8 and then he and then at 18 he goes into the army for 25 years even if he's Still like frum at the end. How many averas did he do while he was in the army? Uh Who knows how many? And they were all crying tears of tshuva. And the Rebbe responded by saying a mimer in Yiddish on the Pasuk that that talks about uh, tshuva and Amunah. And after he said that the mimer was very easy for them to understand. It wasn't like difficult and then he addressed their specific request that he should help them clean and shine the neshamahs He said, this is what he told them How do you polish and shine your buttons? Do you use sand and water? Right, so this is a survival technique If you ever need to catch the attention of, let's say, let's say you're on a desert island, right? But you see a ship three miles out If you wave your hands back and forth, they're never going to see you Right, you could see them because they're so big. They're not going to see you, so you need to get their attention a different way. So what do you do? If you have a knife, the knife could be used to reflect the sun, right? Now that could be seen from miles away if you use it. If you turn it back and forth, right? Just like you know when you use like a magnifying glass, right? So it's a similar thing with a knife. Now the thing is, in order the, the 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 shinier, the brighter the knife. The 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 shinier the the it's gonna be when you do your trick to get the attention. So the, the survival trick is you're supposed to take sand and you rub it hard on the metal knife and that causes it to shine. Right? So this is not a this is I, I saw this in a survival video, but he this is what he told the soldiers. That you use sand and water, and then he continued, he said for a year brightening the is accomplished through sand. What is sand? The words of Tehillim said with emes. And the tears, that is the water that washes away all the bad things that grab onto your neshama. The Tzimach Sadek then explained some midrashim on Eicha and reminded them to be careful in fulfilling mitzvahs and to withstand any pressure to chas convert. And he finished by saying that the Torah commands us to daven for the well-being of the country that we live in and its leaders. He ended with that. A few days later, an official informed the Rebbe that 600 Jewish soldiers, when he spoke in Kronstadt to the soldiers, there were thousands of them, right? But now 600 of them we're, we're now in Petterburg, so he doesn't even have to travel anywhere. And they're requesting that the Rebbe should meet with them again, because they want to personally thank him. With, 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 and, and they want to get the words of brachis and encouragement. But the official said, however, we're warning you. We were extremely not happy with what you said to the Jewish soldiers a few days ago. And I'm notifying you that when you address them this time, we're gonna have someone there who is listening to every word you say. So be careful what you say. Basically, he didn't. They didn't want him to say that they should be strong in their Yiddishkeit, right? Now, with this warning, the Rebbe was escorted to the uh, uh, the, the same fortress where the Alta Rebbe was imprisoned, the Petropavlovsk Pavlovsk Fortress. So part of it was a prison But the other part of it Was like an army fort So he went there And the Jewish soldiers were there And the Rebbe said Another mimer On the Apostle Shema Yisrael. And when he finished Fifteen soldiers Who were designated To represent the, the rest of the soldiers They approached the Rebbe And in great pain One of them said Rebbe We are crippled Jews You know what cripple means? That that something's wrong with them, that they can't walk. That, that's what a, a regular cripple is. Usually a cripple has to walk with a cane or a crutches or something like that. And but they said in regards to our Yiddishkeit, we're crippled. We don't know how to learn. We know nothing. All we have is our Amuna. We have we know a little bit of Davening. And we know a few prakim of to heal him by heart. But that's it. That we that we remember from when we were younger. That's all we have. We some of us never opened up a safer in, in you know twenty years, and we definitely don't understand the meaning of anything we say. And Drebek objected to the statement that they were crippled Jews, and he said, "On the contrary, Fakert, you are strong and powerful Jews. A Jew." who believes in Hashem as the creator of the world, who davins and says, Brachis on food with a, with a pure emuna, is a strong and mighty Jew. Stay healthy in your body and in your neshama, and Hashem will return you to your homes in good health. The Rebbe then said that if you are being pressured to convert to the religion of the country, Chas V'Shalom, you should know that every Jew is obligated to give up his life in order to remain a yid. Even if you're being ordered to convert by the czar himself, you have to give up your life rather than listen to the czar. <clears throat> These words had an extremely Powerful effect on the Jewish soldiers And although The, Rebbe, the Tzemach Sedek wasn't arrested For the statements that he just said um, The ministers were Very angry that he said such things And to make sure That such messages Of inspiration wouldn't be voiced again So remember We said earlier that there was a plan At one point they wanted to separate The Tzemach Sedek from the Hasidim They wanted to force him to live in Petterberg but they said, if we force him to live in Petersburg, he'll talk to these soldiers all the time. Better, let him go live in some Lubavitch hick town in the middle of nowhere, and, and let the soldiers stay here without any rabbi. So they, they told the Sadek to go, meaning they didn't make him stay in, in Petersburg in the end. Um, however, they, were, they did want to watch what he was doing, so when he returned to Lubavitch, he was placed under uh, police surveillance and his every move was watched And every one of his public statements Was recorded For the next six years He was constantly being watched Now the story's not over One day Five years After the Tsar HaSadek spoke to these soldiers in the By the Petropavlov Pavlov uh, fortress <clears throat> The Tsar was Viewing an army exercise At a Distant army camp Army base And in his honor A select group of soldiers Were They were showing off Their talents by dancing And doing acrobats And stuff like that Like uh, like flips And, and uh, cartwheels And all that stuff And the Tsar Was very impressed And He, he tells their commander The, the person in charge he goes, Wow what a job Well done These guys are such good soldiers And he then asked the commander What, what are the names Of these soldiers and the general says, "Okay, that one's Yaakov, that one's Beryl, that one's Shmuli, right?" Basically, he's naming a bunch of Jewish names, and the 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 basically they kept their Jewish names amazingly throughout all this time. They never switched to a Goyish name. They didn't say, oh, "I want to be called Jacob, Yaakov," and they refused to forget about assimilate and become a guy they didn't even want to change their names and the czar blew up and he turns to these jewish soldiers and he says i order you to convert right now and the soldiers responded they said our master the czar around five years ago the tzaddik of lubavitch visited us and he informed us that a jew is forbidden to give up his religion and convert even if it's the czar himself that is telling us to convert, a Jew must give up his life rather than give up his religion. And having said that, they were apparently on some sort of like bridge next to like some from very rocky water. They jumped into the sea. They killed themselves rather than be forced to convert. Um... Now this story Of the soldiers killing themselves That they, they refused to convert They said I'd, we'd rather all be dead It spread like wildfire Throughout all the Jewish soldiers in the whole army And there were many A few other stories like this That happened That they were for, trying to force Yidin to convert And they, they, they did things to, to kill themselves Rather than convert They had a gun in there Um, it convinced the Russian government because of this story that the whole plan to convert the Jewish soldiers is not going to happen. If they're willing to jump into a river rather than convert, there's there's no way we're winning over here. Um, So in 1855, after Tsar Nikolai died, he was succeeded by his son Alexander II, so the Russian government, they, they changed their conscription laws about how Jews get, uh, you know, forced into the army and the way it worked was they, they changed it basically that they would still have to sign up for the draft but they, wouldn't, they, they stopped the whole kidnapping thing because they realized it's not working anyways. So why are we spending money, you know, kidnapping these kids? Um, The, this law, by the way, also allowed retired Jewish soldiers to return to their communities. Um, a, now, now, the way it works is in, in, the, in the Christian religion, once you convert, once a person's converted to Christianity, there's no going back. So even if a, a, a Jew was forced to convert, it doesn't make a difference. Now he's a Christian for the rest of his life. And if you... I'm telling you how the Christians look at it. He could kill himself. And, and if this person tries to go back, they'll, 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 they'll say, no, he's, a, he's, a, he's worse than a Jew. Because he's really a Christian who's pretending to be a Jew. That's worse than a Jew. And they would kill him. Now the problem is you had a whole group of these soldiers who were forced to convert. And now they wanted to come back to, to Yiddishkeit. Um, they demanded that they should be allowed to also return to their families and their religion. They said, our conversions are not real conversions. We were forced. That's not a conversion. There's a story that happened in, in 1859. There was a Jewish family living in uh, Italy. And they had a Christian maid, and there was a, one of the boys in this family. His name was Eduardo, and the last name, the last name of the family was Mortara. So the, she claimed, this nurse who was a Christian, when she was 14 years old, she said, Oh, I baptized him. I made him a Christian when he was a little baby. She said this when he was already, like, older. Because they fired her or something like that So she got upset at the family So she went to her galach And she says, oh that boy That, 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 that he's, he's six years old now I converted him when he was a little baby So he's a Christian And they, they came with soldiers And they took this kid This six year old kid And they started arguing Obviously the family is not just going to give up So first in the beginning They didn't let the father or mother even see their child Because they said, listen, we're not kidnapping him But at the end of the day, he's a Christian And he has to be brought up as a Christian So eventually they let him They let the parents see him But he was never again, for the rest of his life Allowed to be alone with his father and mother There was always be someone else there watching them To make sure that they don't do anything uh, To mess up their trying to convert him And this caused the, 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 The entire world heard about this story and in many countries, they were very against what, because who was the one behind this whole thing? It was the Pope himself that said, I'm going to raise this kid as my own. And I'm going to make sure he becomes a great Galach one day. And, and in America, for example, so, so there's different types of Christians, right? So you have, there the, the Catholics are the ones who are always doing the, these horrible things. Not that the others are so much better. Um, but the, in America, it was mostly Protestant Christians. They hated the Catholics. Catholic. Like, like, really hated. And when they heard about this case, they started going around and attacking all the Catholics that they could find. Now, do you think they really care about a Jew? No. But their, their theory was, if the Pope could do that to this kid, What's to stop him from doing it to our kids? Yeah. This boy, Eduardo Mortaro, grew up to be a Galach. And he even came to America. Yes. This the Pope sent him to America. to send him to New York City. This is already in the, in the 18... Um, I would assume the 1890s. And... And he sent him to, America, to, to New York City to try to, what's his job in America? To try to convert the Jews and say, listen, I was born up a Jew, I know, trust me, and now I'm a Galach, look at me. And the, the, the person, the head Galach in, in New York City told him, no, 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 <laughs> we don't do that in America. Go home, go back to Italy, get, like don't come back here. So um, he went back, he, he actually by this time he lived in Belgium, and he died two months before the Nazis took over Belgium. Wait. At the age of 88. Did, did, what, did, did he come back in? No. They, 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 Mamish brainwashed him. This is, this is what brain, this is what the, 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 the Tsar was hoping to accomplish with the, all the Cantonists. Now, the difference is over here, in this case, it wasn't like this boy was kidnapped and raised by some family in the middle of nowhere. He was raised by the church itself. He could have killed himself. He was six. He didn't understand. You know how easy it is to influence anyone, anything at that age? You're you're nine, right? Ten, how, how old are you? Uh, I could assure you, if I were to tell you something every single day about something, eventually you would start believing it. Now, I'm someone who's not even in the same house as you, right, but imagine if someone's in the same house as someone else, and every single day, I'm telling you this. The, imagine if I say something like, I'm just giving an example here, I don't really mean it in any way. Australians are the meanest people in the world. And every day I tell you a different story about how bad Australians are. And, and 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 sometimes and sometimes I'll do it. And sometimes I'll do it two, three, four times a day I'll tell you how bad Australians are. How many years after how many years is it gonna take before you truly believe with all your heart and soul that Australians are the worst people to ever walk the planet Earth? It will, after three years of you doing of me doing this every single day you will even if you meet a nice Australian you know what you're gonna tell yourself he's faking it really he's a mean disgusting person but I know it's not-